Welcome to the Optimalist Podcast, where we examine just what it takes to ensure humans flourish in the age of AI. I'm Sarah, your host through this exploration of mindfulness, attention, focus, happiness, and motivation, all elements of human flourishing. So how do we cultivate them? This week, I'm joined by Anne Casa. Anne is a veteran of the education field who previously served as a pre-K to fourth grade instructional coach, a pre-K to fifth grade literacy coach and reading specialist, and a classroom teacher at multiple grade levels. Anne is a Google certified instructional technology coach with the Learning Technology Center, serving Burnham School District 154.5 and Sauk Village School District 168. She's also a facilitator for North Central College's Character Education Certification Program and a yoga teacher at Yoga360. She believes strongly in supporting educators and students through hands-on practice and embedded mindfulness-based SEL activities. Listen as Anne and I discuss ways to embed mindfulness-based SEL experiences into the day, as well as how to build student awareness of their involvement in the classroom environment. All of this and more in today's conversation. Right now, I'm an instructional technology coach for the Learning Technology Center, like you said. And it was a, a long journey, but I started out um, actually going to school to get my daycare certificate. I was going to run a daycare. <laughs> and I got so entrenched in child psychology that I decided to go the full bachelor's degree and become a classroom teacher. And I loved that so much where I, I fell in love with teaching reading. And so I became a reading specialist slash instructional coach. And so half-time reading specialist, half-time coach. And that's when I really got to know what was then called ICE, Illinois Computing Educators. And I started working with one of their small chapters and joined the board there. And, and that's where the ed tech came in. And the whole time in the classroom, I was learning SEL. And I, in my personal life, I was learning meditation, mindfulness, yoga. And then things kept turning and the wheels kept changing. And now I am this <laughs> um, strange, educational technology, yogi, mindfulness, SEL facilitator, little unicorn. <laughs> I like I guess in a in a typical week or, you know, a stretch of time doing the work that you do now with all of these kind of mini roles combined, what what would you say is I don't I don't even know if I want to say the best part or your favorite part or the part that you find to be the most rewarding? What do you find to be the most, I guess, rewarding or joyful about what you're doing? That's a super easy one. I get to help people. Mm. And that's, I'm a helper by nature. And, and I'm a nurturer. And so what I get to do is I get to find teachers who are looking for support. And I get to go on their journey with them. And I'm lucky enough to work with two different school districts. So I'm in a different school every day. And so I'll find a teacher who is requesting support in an area and I get to go in and just kind of put my hand on their shoulder and figuratively like just walk next to them, keeping them moving forward. And then they have somebody to lean on. Um, one, di one district that I work in, it's a one school school district. And so it's one teacher per grade level. So they don't really have a team. But when I get to come in, I get to be their teammate. And so it's I get to see pre-K through eighth grade curriculum. So I get to help teachers be like, oh, you know, you don't really need to go that far. Let's stick here. I can be like, next year's teacher is going to really dig into that. And so I can just help navigate the streams and 
you know, say, let's take this off your plate and just a little fresh perspective. So it's, that's my favorite thing, being able to help others and be there to, to support someone. Cause I know when I was in the classroom, I didn't have a coach and it was tough. Neither did I. Um, I'm always jealous when I do these conversations with people and they talk about stuff like this. Cause I never had a coach and I'm, I'm wondering, and, and actually before I ask this question, I want to just add to what you're saying here about helping people, because just to let the audience know when we were, I guess, preparing, I don't even know, planning yesterday, I was texting, we were texting back and forth about this conversation today about having this interview. And you said to me, can't wait to smile together. <laughs> and that was so, that is so indicative, I think, of the way you look at everything. Um, and it's, yeah, I, it, I think um, that fits perfectly with the way you described your job. And so I would like to see if you can maybe help us, I guess, define what, how would we think about the difference between what people normally think of as SEL in a school and what we're calling now mindfulness-based SEL? Is there a major difference between these two entities or are they, can they be kind of seamlessly thought of as the same? Like where, where does that line fall? It's a very twiggly line because <laughs> <laughs> I think, um, I also teach for North Central College and I teach, I facilitate their character education program. And right now we are working with a district to boost up the character education program with additional hours on SEL and mindfulness. And so I'm kind of working right now on showing how mindfulness, character education, SEL, they all blend together and support each other. And so when I think about SEL, character education, anything in that realm, I think of that as the plate that holds everything academic. And when I think of mindfulness, I think of that as the hand that holds the plate, if that makes sense. Hmm. Because with mindfulness, you are in the present moment. And when you're in the present moment, you're practicing non-judgment. You have curiosity. You're fully focused. You're fully engaged. You are right here, right now. Nothing else is coming in. Now we're ready to take those SEL skills, those character building skills, and implement them, learn them, practice them. Because if we're not being mindful and we're trying to put those tools in place, we're not going to be engaging with them as fully as we can. And we're not going to be getting the outcomes that we're looking for. So when we practice mindfulness first, and then we build on from there, mostly if you think of photography where you have a camera, mm -hmm. that cameras, the mindfulness the different lenses that we put on there can be SEL tools. Like I said, squiggly line, <laughs> <laughs> but in each other. <laughs> Do you do a lot of work with adults in this? Do you find you have to do a lot of training with adults and teachers first before any of this makes its way to students? Absolutely. Um, I've taught mindfulness for educators classes in the past. And uh, like I said, the one that I facilitate now, the whole first module is looking inward before we even start talking about classroom application. And when I learned SEL myself, I learned in a tribes program in a school district where I was teaching fifth grade and every institute day, every staff meeting, it was all about learning this tribe's philosophy, practicing SEL ourselves. And then the next year we fully implemented into our classroom. Mm. We're going to ask a trigonometry class to be taught by someone who doesn't know trigonometry. Yeah. And so 
getting to know these basics of mindfulness and getting that practice down in yourself. Like I am on the board for the Coalition of Schools Educating Mindfully, also known as COSM. And we have a mindfulness-based SEL micro-credential that's out there. And one of our requirements is if you haven't already had a mindfulness practice in place is to have a six-month practice before we, we award that micro-credential. And so it's very important for us to learn our own practices, our own core values ourselves before we start teaching that to students. And are you able to see when you work with adults in this way, are you able to see a change in the way they kind of approach, whether it's their work or um, or do they actually communicate these like changes in the way they're thinking or moving throughout their day? Is there anything that indicates to you like this is the kind of work we need to be doing and 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 working with adults and teachers first is the way to, is is really the way we all need to be moving towards? Um, like how how much of that feedback do you get from them? Absolutely. Some is instant. Um, like just yesterday, I was on a call where I was talking about mindfulness with some participants and one of the ladies kind of stopped me in the middle and she goes, I just want to let you know, I was going back and forth on taking your class because it's summer and I needed a break, but I know I'm in the right place now. <laughs> she was like, I just needed you to know that. And, you know, other ones in the first sessions, they're like, I've already learned so much. It's only been 20 minutes and, and their curiosity is sparked. And it's almost like, where have you been all my life? You know? <laughs> mm. Oh, yeah. But, and then when I hear that, yeah, it's awesome. It, it, I love hearing that because I take that and I'm like, now imagine if you would have been practicing this since you were seven. Mm -hmm. And like once we get our practice established, we can reach out to these little ones and help them start naming their emotions, putting numbers to how intense that emotion is feeling and trying to count those back before we're flipping our lids. I mean, I go into neuroscience with Dr. Dan Siegel's hand model with flipping your lid. And when I explain that to teachers, they instantly understand the why. This is why we're going to do this. And this is how we're going to keep from flipping our lid. That's awesome. Yeah, that does sound awesome. And it's so important when you do bring up the science behind what it is that you're doing and what's happening in the brain and the body connection and all of that. It is really kind of amazing to watch. I mean, I feel it myself when I when I study these things and look at them more deeply, but but to see groups of people like have that light bulb go go off, it's really um, quite amazing and rewarding. I think because it all comes together, and I think just what when I you know when I talk to people like yourself who are doing this kind of work every day with tons of different people, it's something that we it's like a universal experience that we all wish that more more of us could could be exposed to it, you know, in a way that makes it feel accessible and connects it to what we know is going on in our brain. And we just don't know why, like, I don't know, it, it just, it just feels like this is just something that shouldn't even be a question. Like we should all be moving towards this kind of a program. We would definitely help. <laughs> yeah. And so with that, I wanted to ask, do you see, is there any kind of, and what kind is it, um, like any kind of resistance that you get from adults when it comes to starting this work on their own individual journey? A lot of times the most resistance that I will get is um, when it gets taken out of the classroom perspective and put into that personal life perspective, 
I've noticed that a parent has a very hard time implementing it as a parent. Um, speaking of self-care activities, taking time for self, like I, I talk about how is your well-being, and I'll put up two pictures of a dry well and an overflowing well, and it's a kind of a play on words. And I'll say, you know, if we keep giving and giving, the world will keep taking and taking. We only have so much. Mm-hmm. And so how is our well-being? You know, if we if our well is empty, we can't give to anybody. And if our well is just to the top, then we have just enough for us. And so we have to make sure that we're creating opportunity for our well-being to just overflow so we can give to others. And I'm like, that means taking a nap. That means saying no to driving somebody to something. And And parents struggle with that. I think it's selfish. And Teachers sometimes struggle with, I'm like, don't grade that tonight. Grade that tomorrow. Mm-hmm. You know, you need to get your rest. And it's, I don't know how to exactly frame it, but it, it's a way where it's almost like we're sacrificing ourselves for the benefit of others. And then the question I always ask, is that what you want your children to do as they grow mm-hmm. up? And every parent is like, no, <laughs> I want them to take care of themselves. We need to show them how <laughs> and yes, us modeling us like saying, I can't take you right now because I need to take care of this. And then if that child is, you know, they, they don't have that neuroplasticity or that prefrontal cortex fully developed. Yeah. The rationalization of what they're saying, that's how they're going to learn. And by watching us say, I can't do that right now because, and when we have those conversations with our children, at home, with people at home, if we don't have children at home, just with anybody, because when we know what our core values are and we're living aligned to those core values, that's how we make our decisions and that's how we keep ourselves on a positive self-care path. And if something is taking us out of that alignment, we have to say, oh, I'm out of alignment right now. I can't do all of that. And that's what I see people struggling with. And that level of awareness is something that takes practice because I think, yeah, so much practice. And I think you and I both know, like we hear people, I'm sure you get this a lot in your initial conversations or beginning, beginning these kind of classes with people where they are aware that something is, they're kind of aware that something's either a problem or that they do certain things or say certain things that they, they know maybe aren't the best. But, but the meta awareness comes when you can recognize it regularly and not just be like, oh, yeah, I know that I scroll, you know, Instagram when I'm talking to other people like that. There's one thing like knowing you do it, but being aware when you're in the moment is a and then redirecting that that action is a completely different thing. And I think that that that's the practice and the journey of that self-directed being able to self-direct your attention, I think. Maybe think about focus is how often do we know what focus really is? You know, Ellen Keene is an amazing reading researcher with reading strategies who I was able to work with for a couple of years. I just love her and her work. Um, she wrote a book and she would talk about her inspiration for this book was a child she was working with where she was having one-to-one a reading conference with and she asked the child, does that make sense? And the child started crying and she goes, what does make sense mean? Everybody asked me, does that make sense? Does this make sense? But nobody ever told me what makes sense means. And it makes, I always connect to that, to focus and engagement, because we'll ask a student, um, you need to refocus. Are you focused? Are you engaged? 
did we even take the time to show them what that feels yeah. like, looks like, and sounds like? Mm-hmm. So that's huge too. Yeah. I mean, and that's exactly what I'm thinking about too, is how often, yeah, how often do we think about our own level of attentiveness? If you're someone who's a parent or working with kids in any capacity, we're always thinking about how to make, you know, or or get kids to do something a little bit better or more attentively or make them more aware. But so much of what they understand is looking to us for that model. Um, And I think in some of this work that you're doing with adults, does, or I guess how often does technology or technology in general, personal devices, social media, like, does that, does that come up as part of this conversation of, of mindfulness and you know, how, how we are aware of what, what's happening throughout our lives. Like how, how much of a part does that play in what you do? It, it is a big part. In fact, uh, one of my, my dear coworkers who has become a great friend, uh, Jen Lieben is an amazing coach as well. Amazing person, amazing teacher. Her and I co-present on a topic called digital wellness. At, uh we did that at IdeaCon not too mm-hmm. long ago. And it's all about helping adults balance their digital life with their natural life and ways to make that happen. Like using the focus on your phone when you are having dinner, mm-hmm. you know, turn that personal focus on. If you're in a yoga class, turn that personal focus on. Use focus while you're driving. And that's just turning off comments and likes on Instagram. So that way that's not negatively impacting your self-esteem. Um, limiting your time. So having that screen time limiter, just, you know, like if you're a parent, you're like, oh, 30 minutes screen time is up. And the kid's like, ah. <laughs> you can do that for yourself. <laughs> Set those rules ahead of time and make yourself stick to those boundaries. And just finding ways to balance that. Mm-hmm. And it, in a way, it makes sad that we have to do that. Um, but I'm glad that we get to do that at the same time. Yeah, we've been talking a lot in the focusable world here and the optimalist community. We've been talking a lot about, and especially when it relates to being a parent or a caregiver, um, we've been talking and writing about what it means to actually spend time with your child or kids uninterrupted and like it, it, 30 minutes of time playing a game or building something or um, even talking or, or, you know, cooking dinner together, something, something that requires human connection and conversation or collaboration. And when we think of the bits of time that we actually are asked to do, or we even have time to do, it's not, it's not a lot, 30 minutes of, of something on a Sunday morning or, you know, preparing for dinner or whatever it might be. When I ask people this, sometimes they, it, like I was saying before, they have this awareness that they're either doing or not doing something, but they don't often think about it in the moment because they're so used to kind of breezing through a day um, and going through the patterns of a day that they've kind of let the outside world set and haven't been mindfully setting themselves. But if you think about a six-year-old saying, 
hey, can we play this game after dinner? Or, you know, instead of dismissing or playing it with like your laptop open, how many of us really don't do anything else or have anything else in front? I mean, we all watch, we watch movies and television now with our phone in our hands. And so then there's legitimately no reason to be doing that. But we have become used to being fractured and almost, almost like as a default, right? I'm watching this show for half an hour, but I could also be texting my family. That's the thing. Like some of the things we're doing aren't even bad things. Like maybe they feel like we're taking this time to connect with people, but, but why not just call them for half an hour? You know, there are things that we say and know, but we don't actually step forward and do with full awareness. And when we start to do them and make them, build them into a routine, the change becomes like miraculous. What I'm hearing you talking about, it's like, it's like monotasking versus multitasking. And and something I like to say to everybody is that um, everything is temporary. Mm -hmm. And and I, I, I just, I want to scream it from the rooftops. And, you know, I've lost so many people as most people have. That's part of living is losing. But, remembering that every good time you're having is going to end. Every challenge you're going through is going to end. Mm -hmm. Every person you love is going to be gone at some point. You are like, I, and I was talking about this at a conference once when I was talking about um, mindfulness and just the the necessity of staying in the moment. I'm like, I was like, if I could tattoo that on my arm right now, I would, everything is temporary. And they're like, ah, but a tattoo is permanent. I'm like, oh yeah, well, what happens to it when, when I'm gone and my my bones and materials are going back to the earth, and I'm like that tattoo goes too. <laughs> like nothing is permanent. <laughs> like everything is temporary. And so when we sit there and really start thinking about what is important in this moment, and again, I'm going to come back to the point where I was talking about finding those core values and living in alignment. So if your core value is to put family first, and we are sitting there doing something while texting with family, well, then we're living out of alignment and we're going to feel that. Uh-huh. And when we feel that, that's that self-awareness, that's that mindfulness, and that's all of that SEL work coming together, putting us back in alignment so we're living our best selves on our best path. And then we won't be doing those things just because we've already made the predetermined decision that this is how we're going to live. Like if um, having a healthy body is one of my core values. So I've already made the decision when I go out to eat, I'm choosing the healthiest thing on the menu that I like. Mm-hmm. And so that automatically takes out so much of the menu. Of the decision making. Make sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Already having that value. Yes. He has the same like five shirts and pants because he doesn't want to have to worry about what he's mm-hmm. going to be wearing every day. Oh my gosh. So I've thought about that, that so many times having... As I've just moved into a new place and I have all of these boxes and I didn't even, my stuff had been in storage for a few months and I didn't know that I had that many boxes of clothes that weren't with me. Right. <laughs> and I'm just Until opening them. Move. They're sitting there in my closet and I'm like, I literally don't want to open them. I want to take them and put them just in the trash as they are. Like, I don't even know what's in them. And if I don't know, then why do I need it? Yes. I have this vision of my closet just being like, like, just, just like very minimal amount of clothing. 
Um, <laughs> anyway, all of my secrets are coming out on the Optimus podcast as <laughs> as as becoming um, custom for me. I think. Let it out. Yeah, and it's so easy when I'm talking to you too because you get me in that mode. <laughs> Um, so how do you move to, from, I guess, almost introducing teachers to the concept of mindfulness-based SEL and mindfulness in general? How do you move from introducing them and training them to do these things and think about it in their own lives and then work towards implementing this or incorporating it into a classroom setting? And And like we say you know, everyone that I've had on this show that we are talking about SEL in any capacity, everybody is of the mind that we are really doing ourselves a disservice if we are not working towards incorporating SEL and not separating it. So I know that that is something that you work towards as well. So I just want to, maybe we can talk about how you move from having teachers implement this on their own to taking it to the classroom? Um, and and like, what's the success rate there as far as how they are able to make that transition? I love that question. Um, one of the big parts that I ensure is reflection questions. So I will ask, how do you feel now after we've practiced this? You know, How did you feel before? How did you feel during? How did you feel after? And then I always say, how will your how will this work best in your practice, meaning at, at work? In your current practice, how can you embed this? And then we'll have discussions. So it's constantly as we're learning something, I'll, I'll ask, how, when's the best time to use this in class? Like we'll do a mindful line drawing where it's just one minute and you take out a piece of paper and a pen. And the only two rules is your pen has to keep moving and the line cannot intersect itself. And I'll set a timer and we'll go. And that's such a focusing activity. <laughs> I just love it. And um, it's from Mindful Practices, their class catalyst program. And you can get it online. It's only like one minute. They have a whole bunch of one minute mindfulness oh, cool. activities that I would recommend teachers to like set up in their Google Classroom a topic that says settling in and just have a whole bunch of these links through safe YouTube. And it's an amazing way for students to just get that settling in because it is modeled by students for students. Hmm. But again, when I, the teachers and we do those activities, I ask them, when will this fit into a class period? And they're always saying things like, oh, right before a test, when we're transitioning between classes, when we're going, when the mood is very elevated and we need to come back and recenter. And I say, now, okay, now when students have practiced this, they are going to understand what it felt like to be focused. And when we say let's refocus, they're going to have a tool to be able to do that. Because yes. if we don't give them the tools to be able to refocus, they're not going to be able to do that. That's going to be like telling me, hey, Ann, go dig a hole yeah. without giving me a shovel or telling me what the hole is. I love that you're focusing on transitions and moments of heightened elevation. And it's something that we can, it's what we talk about all the time too on this podcast. And something that we can all not just relate to, but really latch onto as ways like these are the moments in all of our days and lives. They're not just things that take place in school, um, in a school day, like, you know, the transition, we, I, we think of it as like, you know, uh, the transition from like arriving at school to getting into your classroom, the transition from one, you know, depending on the age level, like 
from one period to the next, like from lunch to recess or from recess back to class. Like these are kind of, it's not difficult to think of those, but bring that outside. Like we like to also think of the transition between school or work day and the home and whatever is in between those things. Like what are you doing? How are you moving from being in a work setting or a school setting to, you know, going to the grocery store and then from there going home? Like, are you rushing from one moment to the next? Are you then rushing to make dinner? Um, not really talking to your kids or your husband. All of these things are moments, like you said before, everything is going to pass. And so taking those things as they pass and not just breezing through every moment as if it's just disposable, but thinking of thinking of of it almost like as one as a fluid day. How am I passing through all of these things and accepting them without without just dismissing or rushing? Because it does something completely to the entire self, I think, when you when you change the way you think about it. I don't know if I'm not being scientific in any way that I'm describing this. I'm just thinking about how it feels. But is that I don't know if that's something that's a, how I'm talking about it really is ringing true to how how you think about it as well. 100%. And that's where that mindfulness-based SEL comes in. Because if we're doing all of those things in a mindful way, we're not going to get interrupted. If I'm walking down the hallway, say I'm going from one teacher's room to another teacher's room, if I'm doing a mindful walk, then I'm just paying attention to my footfalls. And right, left, mm-hmm. right, left, feeling how it feels for my heel to hit the floor, feeling how it feels for my toe to hit the floor. And just in that moment, and somebody walks up and is like, oh, Miss Cassa, can you help me with this? They're not interrupting anything. I don't have to pivot or transition. I'm aware and fully present and ready to go do what I need to do. Mm-hmm. Same thing if I'm at and I'm cooking dinner, if I'm doing it mindfully, where I'm just completely focused on that, and I'm lucky enough to have my amazing husband come walking through the door, mm-hmm. I'm not being interrupted from what I'm doing. I get to welcome him home. You yes, know? you're accepting that transition into the moment. Yeah. Right. And that way, because if I was sitting there, let's say I'm cooking dinner, but I'm also doing this, I'm also doing that, I'm, I've got the grocery list going, I've got my phone open, adding things there. Mm-hmm. And then he walks in the door. Then I'm doing 300 things. And then it's like, oh, how you doing? You know, like he's an intruder. Yeah. And you can be dismissive or not even realize yeah. he's walked through the room. <laughs> I, I tell people all the time when I talk about mindful eating, I'm like, when's the, you know, how many times have you gone to reach for something in your, in your, from your lunch and it was all gone? You ate it already. <laughs> yes. And you didn't even know. Mm-hmm. Or, or if you're taking a shower. I'm like, do you even know what your shampoo smells like? I'm like, take your one thing at a time. All of those sensory experiences are the are sensory experiences like that something that you have teachers bring into the classroom mm-hmm. as part of this at all? Because I talk to people about that quite often. Absolutely. Um, part of that micro credential through Cosm is recording a mindfulness activity. And one person who did, they they did a mindfulness activity where they were eating M&Ms and the students were explaining how the M&M transitioned from, you know, this hard piece of candy and then how, because they didn't work, they weren't able to chew, it just had to melt. And the student had to just experience that and talk about the different layers of it fading. Mm-hmm. And it was just very interesting to watch because they just focused on that one thing. And it was, they were able to write about it. They were able to talk about it. It's such a different level than if they just ate a handful of M&Ms. Oh, they were good. Mm-hmm. 
And then you think about what that does the next time they pick up a bag of M&Ms. Like, it's almost like, not that they're going to naturally repeat that process again every time they eat candy, but they probably will think about that. There's some memory there at a, at some level of, oh, yeah, I know I, I know what an M&M tastes like. Mm-hmm. You know, it, there's something, and, and hopefully at some point that they do repeat that that kind of behavior in a different way, maybe with different things. Um, and it reminds me of like, uh, this was something I was doing last summer a lot when I was deep in my studies of like, of the different levels of focus and where we, where we can tune in very specifically in so many areas of, of our lives as we move through a day. And I was doing this a lot as I took a lot of um, hikes and nature walks last summer by really you know, I, I, I'm sure so many people do this now is I listen, I listen to podcasts constantly. And I'm always walking my dog, I have two dogs, and we're always, you know, we go on like five walks a day. So it's just inevitable that I always have headphones in and I'm listening to a, pieces of a podcast that I'm listening to throughout the day. But last summer, I started to be like, what's what if I just turn this off? And, you know, for if I go on five walks a day, one or two of them, I cannot listen to something. And in, and instead of just not listening, while I'm walking, I'm looking at really closely at like the trees or the leaves or any, it could be anything. It could literally just be the grounds, the pavement, the dirt. And how focused can I get on the bark of a tree as I'm walking? Like, I know I'm not stopping and staring at the bark of a tree. While my dogs are with me, I'm not doing that, but I'm walking. And as things pass me, I'm looking at them and taking them in and like actually challenging myself to focus on something specific. And then we move on because we're, we are in movement. And I actually have been feeling pretty out of alignment since I, you know, I moved in the last couple of weeks and I'm just surrounded by boxes and craziness and my dogs are not used to this neighborhood and all the sounds. So there's a lot of, of just kind of disjointedness. And so I was been feeling it the last couple of days when I am out walking, I'm like taking the headphones off and I'm like, I think what I really need is to just breathe in the air in this new neighborhood that's actually filled with tons of blooming jasmine and smells amazing. And not not be distracted in any way except for getting to know in the way of the of tuning into the senses this new place that I now inhabit which sounds a little wonky but when you know when it when it is filled with such new sensation like let's let's embed ourselves in it and make this become our new reality because otherwise I'm just drowning all of that out if I'm pressing play the second I walk out the door I might as well be in my old neighborhood where is the sense of belonging in this moment and learning and learning to be here and accept this transition? Because it's like you can even apply these mindfulness techniques to a larger transition like that. Let's not ignore the moment. Let's be in the moment. Oh, I love it. Yes, because <laughs> the moment is going to be whether we know it or not. That moment is here. That moment is gone. You know, think about the moment we first started talking. What's gone? You know, mm-hmm. it's something we, I've been excited about for uh, a few weeks now to build it sit down and chat with you but you know those weeks in between are now gone our beginning is gone and here we are and, and then eventually this will be gone and it'll be a memory and to hear just that get the most out of each moment because they all go 
<laughs> yeah, and now I'm thinking you just gave me They're an idea. Go away, like I. Yeah, you just gave me an idea of maybe something that we should do. Maybe I'll start it with this episode when I record the introduction. But maybe, maybe it makes sense to start asking listeners of this show, even at the beginning, to to mindfully listen. Like, think of before you press play. Like, listen to before you continue listening. Like, think about what else are you doing during the thirty forty minutes that this episode is playing, and maybe just repeating that. And it's not that everybody's going to, it's hard to sit still and listen to a podcast. It's They're usually meant to be doing other things. But at the same time, just thinking about that every time you press play on something like audio, um, just being aware and knowing how to direct your attention to what you're doing and not doing too many things at once, just repeating that all the time. It's the awareness is the first step is that I think that's what you would agree with too. And it's putting your... But setting an intention mm-hmm. and then focusing your attention on attention. And when our attention yeah. is focused on our intention, again, we're coming back to that living in core values alignment. And when I'm going to listen to a podcast, I want to have an intention. I'm doing it intentionally because everything costs something. Yeah. It's going to ta- cost 30 minutes of my life. So what do I want to spend that 30 minutes of my life on? Why am I going to listen to this podcast? I have some kind of intention that I'm going to put out there and I'm going to focus my attention on that intention. And if I find within five minutes that it's not quite working, it's not time for that. It's time for me to go do something else. Exactly. And that's okay too. Knowing where our attention needs to go and then following it, but making sure we also set, okay, if I do need to sit down and focus on this right now, those distractors that come in, you know, we can put them in um, little bubbles, mm-hmm. kind of like we have a little feather and just focus away. And that's where that mindfulness comes in. And again, why I say mindfulness is the arm that holds the plate of SEL and character recognition and things of that nature. Because without being able to stay focused and notice when our thoughts are starting to ramble and bring ourselves back, because our thoughts will always go. Right. And meditation doesn't mean that we're going to silence the mind. I mean, who would want to silence such a beautiful creature? But we, we don't even want to confuse the mind. We just want to be able to function with the mind. <laughs> As Michael Singer would say, an untethered soul is the loudest, craziest roommate we're ever going to live with and we can never leave. <laughs> right. <laughs> but we want to be able to say, okay, mind, um, right now I need to put a bouncer at the door. <laughs> I love and that. They're not going to let <laughs> you're going to aren't that are not on the list. And right now the thoughts on my list is talking to my dear friend Sarah mm-hmm. <laughs> and SEL. And so that bouncer has been put outside the door and they're not going to let anything in about grocery lists or the walk I'm going on later or, or a yoga prac class I'd like to plan, you know, mm-hmm. I'm focusing everything. And so, and that, that bouncer idea comes from Timber Hawkeye, one of my favorite authors. He put that out in a podcast and I just had to give him props because I use that so often. I just picture this bouncer outside of my brain, like you can't come in. I love that. I'm <laughs> going to start using that. I yeah, I love that. That's really great because and and as I'm he- listening to you talk just about this last piece here, you know, it really makes me think about the role that all of this plays in mental health and in helping to naturally lessen, like significantly lessen anxieties and stresses that are even just the normal anxieties that we all have um, that that could have to do with thinking that we have to do 
even just thinking ahead, like all of the things I'd have to do later or the things I wished I could do, but I feel like I don't have time. And a lot of it does come down to that worrying about time or thinking like if I'm spending an hour talking to Anne, like, do I have this hour? Oh my gosh. Like, what about the essay I have to write? Like, what about this other thing I have to do? I have to call like, but it's like, okay, I I am doing this thing though. Like I said, you know, I do want to do this into, you know, we worry about this, at least I'm, this is how I like build up with like anxiety related to stuff to do because it can be like, I, I will wake up and think here are 10 things I want to do and then 10 things I have to do. And then I have to do them all at once. Like I'm going to do them all before noon. And I don't know where that comes from, that rush of like, that we don't, I don't have more than four hours today to do it. But it's significantly reduced when I do exact, like just having learned to do exactly what it is that you're describing. And, you know, I've made the decision to spend this time doing X. And, and if I don't think that that's important, then I don't have to do it. You can say, no, I'll do this tomorrow. You know, and I've been talking a lot, like moving more towards this idea that it's more about like how you spend your attention and your energy than your time. And if you kind of think, think in terms of that and not about, not about the consistently being tied to the hours and the minutes of the day, something else does change as well. Like, where is my attention right now? Where is it going to be in an hour? And then you kind of, the time aspect kind of floats away and you can kind of just be mindful and aware. That's the way I think about it. Love it. <laughs> so, and, and it's a practice. It is. It, it takes practice. And, and um, you know, that author I talked about earlier, Timber Hawkeye, he always says, don't worry if you fail at that today, you will have plenty of more opportunities to practice. <laughs> yes. And you might go completely like you could be doing it for years and progressing in a way that you are so joyful about and then have something set you back um, or feel mm-hmm. like you're being set back for no real major reason. It happens to me all the time. And then that's mindfulness as well, like knowing that that's not permanent and that yes. you always have the ability to self-direct and continuously practice. And I just, I, I know that we've been talking for a while and I did want to kind of wind towards a, a mindful conclusion here, an intentional conclusion if we can. But I think it might be interesting to kind of end on talking about, because we are talking a lot about our own ability and responsibility for uh, ability to self-direct but and also responsibility for our own happiness and attention and mindfulness. But I, and you can talk about this in terms of a classroom setting, I feel like if that is if that makes the most sense here, but we also need support in this kind of work. And it's why you do what you're do, what you do and bring people together in a setting where they're kind of studying this with, you know, along with other people, but when you move into um introducing it to younger people, how do you build a community around support for each other when it is such an individual task? I love it. The Tribes TLC philosophy is one of my favorite. It's researched by Gene Gibbs. And I think Tribes got bought out by Peace Circles, but I'm not 100% not 90% sure. But that was the program that I followed and learned the most from when I was studying social and emotional learning inside the classroom, because it's not a set time of the day. It rolls through the whole day. And all of these tools are things that we practice together. Community circles are huge, where we would just come together. Most of our time, 
um, fifth grade, second grade, sixth grade was spent in a community circle. If we were in our, what we call our little desk groups, then that was like direct learning time where I was um, lecturing or giving a mini lesson. But if we were doing independent work, if I was conferring, if we were doing guided reading groups or whatever we were working on, I was in the mix with the kids and we were, we would be in community circles to having discussions. We would discuss, we would play games in community circles. Mm. So we got comfortable there and we would play, um, or not, we would play out scenarios in community circle that the students would create. Oh, cool. So they would have, they can create scenarios and put it in this box. They didn't have to say who it was from. We had boxes for all kinds of stuff. Mm-hmm. We had appreciation box. <laughs> they can put appreciation. And all of those things get read in community circle. And we, we would create, we, we didn't have class rules. We had class agreements and expectations. So there was no, no, it, there was always let's do this. So it was the four agreements that I always put out there was let's make sure that we are showing mutual uh, um, respect mm-hmm. for each other and each other's property. Um, let's practice attentive listening. Let's, Let's give appreciations instead of put downs. And the right to pass was always huge because say the teacher calls on a student and they're not ready to answer. Mm-hmm. They could say, I'd like to use my right to pass, please. Oh, that's, and that's great. that's so respectful. I love that. Like, yeah, absolutely. They knew I was coming back to them and I would make sure to come back to them, but they needed some time or maybe they wanted somebody else to say something first. I love that phrasing, the right to pass. That's a great, I love it. That's right. The gene gives and it's beautiful and it's all about building community together because we can't. And there was a shared poem that I would start the school with and it was about, you know, we have to do this together um, because there's nothing that a teacher can do by themselves to make it a positive learning environment. Oh, yes. And that even I'm like still thinking about the language, the specific language for some of these things, too, because yeah, that you're, what you're saying there, even with just the right to pass, that it's giving the group the responsibility and trust in each other and also almost in a silent way, helping you with that trust yourself because you have to know, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to pass this now, but, but I do have to figure out how to come back to it mentally. Um, like it's, right. it is mindful even in, like I, I think I like thinking of it as like a silent. It's like silently also whispering to you. You do. We're, we're going to come back and talk about this again. But it's okay if you can't right now. Um, and what's more mindful than that? Right. It's beautiful because it, it 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 builds like you said that trust. Trust is so important, not just between students and teachers, but between students and other students. Yeah. It's hard to be a kid. Yeah. <laughs> it is very. hard. And when we were talking earlier about transitions, one student's experience at lunch may be terrible, you know, mm-hmm. and then they're coming back to the classroom. And if we just start off, boom, learning, then we didn't give them that chance to either express what happened, process what happened, self-manage, giving that time to, okay, let's deal with this and handle this. Then we're really missing out on an opportunity for that person to grow and for us to help. And if we don't provide each other, the students, chances to help other students, they're not going to be as given as many opportunities to build empathy and compassion. Yes, exactly. And care. If we I always tell my students, I'm like, if we don't ask for help, we're depriving somebody else of the ability to help. And that 
helps people ask. And I'm like, wouldn't you want to help somebody if they're feeling this way? And they say, of course I would. I said, well, then give somebody the chance to help you. Yeah, if we all stayed, you know, you think of a class of kids, if everyone stayed in their own bubble, what would that look like? Uh, that's not, it, it's not anything. This was a great way to to wind down, I think. And um, is there anything you'd like to give before we do our wrapping uh, question, couple last wrapping questions about you? Um, is there anything you'd like to leave educators or parents and caregivers, anyone that works with or spends any time with kids, any any kind of last minute, maybe tips or advice if they're looking to move more into this kind of work with students? Yes. Something that I just heard recently, um, somebody talked about on a podcast where they put it out there where everybody feels as though they are the director of their life. Mm-hmm. You know, they got a movie and they have a script and they're expecting everybody to follow this script. And when someone's not following that script, they want to see, they want to yell cut. But we have to remember that every individual has a director. Yes. <laughs> and they have their scripts that they're expecting other people to go. And they yeah. have a script that they're expecting to live their life by. And so remembering that the way we think things should be, should go, listen to that word should being used. The word should is one of the most negative words in our language. And please alleviate it as much as possible. It just implies we're not doing it. My little sidebar. <laughs> so, yeah. The di- sitting in the director's seat, we're thinking everybody should be living by the way we want them to. Everybody is different. And we just need to say, okay, this is how I think today is going to go. And putting that little piece according to me in there allows for others to have their own way as well. And because anything we believe to be true, the complete and total opposite of that is true to someone else. Mm -hmm. And that needs to be respected and allowed to happen. And that's how people grow. And so we don't want little mini-me's all over the place. (laughs) What we do want is for people to find themselves, find their core values, and find that attachment to the core values and make their life decisions from there. And they may not be the same as yours. And that's okay. According to me. <laughs> oh, that is so beautiful. Uh, and a, a great way to to not only end our conversation today, but then kind of, uh, almost seamlessly transition into some things that maybe you as an individual are thinking about reading, consuming, listening to that might show us a little bit about your core values, <laughs> or maybe they don't, <laughs> maybe they're completely opposite. <laughs> but more often than not, we find that they they do intersect or connect in some way. Um, so you can, you can fill us in on any part of this that you want, but is there anything you are reading, watching, or listening to recently that has kind of been having an impact on you in any way? Um, let's see here. I've been, I just finished Bridges of Madison County. Oh, wow. Cool. Um, Reading or watching? Reading. Yeah. Uh, My aunt recommended to me and, um, it was a great story, which is, it was funny because I'm I'm starting to get into photography and one of the characters is a photographer. So I actually learned some stuff about photography, reading that book. What a mindful hobby, huh? Photography. Totally. Yeah. And the you know, we're making pictures, not taking them. Yes, I love that. But so cute. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that book. 
I'm about to jump into the opposite of Namaste. I've had it for a while, but it's kind of been sitting, and I'm excited for that one. And I just finished watching Firefly Lane on Netflix, mm. which I fell in with. I oh loved it too, and I watched it too. Yeah, <laughs> Do you know it's it a fun. book. <laughs> I didn't know it was a book, actually. Two novels that it's based off of. So I just um, downloaded. Firefly Lane, um, the first novel on Audible. So I'm going to be starting that too. <laughs> and um, I've been listening I didn't know. to several. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm going to have to I'm look. Su- Thank you for that. <laughs> <laughs> and the, po- the podcast I've been enjoying lately is The One You Feed. Okay. Um, it's a great one. And then Buddhist Boot Camp. And then Neuroscience Meets Social and Emotional Learning. Oh, that's interesting. Smotty. It's a good one. I like that one. And then I always love Getting Curious by Jonathan Van Ness. Oh, I love it a too. Fun podcast. Yeah. <laughs> that was the full um that's a good a good spectrum of things that you're listening to. And and I that neuroscience one, that's the actual title. Neuroscience meets what was the whole thing? Neuroscience meets social and emotional okay. learning. Cool. It's very interesting. Um. Yeah, I'm gonna what? check that out. Exactly. I'm like frantically typing as you tell me all these things you listen to. Um, but I love how you have have uh, getting curious in there too because it's a full spectrum of listening. But it is that I mean that that is as well as a show that's all about hype. You know, hyper focusing on something in detail. I love it. And as we end every episode of the Optimalist, do you have a way of focusing or? redirecting attention or paying attention in your regular life or that you teach others to do that you think works so well that you would recommend? Like what is your focus method or attention method that you would recommend people try? My favorite is just living as mindfully as possible, um, staying as present as possible. And that makes me as available as possible. So if I'm like I talked about earlier, if I'm walking down the hallway and trying to keep just right, left, right, left, as my feet hit the floor. So that way, when someone comes up and needs me, I'm able to help, which is my favorite thing to do is help others. Yeah. Perfect. Thank you so much, Anne, for being here today. Um, and no one no one saw our very long behind the scenes footage um, from before <laughs> this episode began, uh, that it is quite the saga to get us to the end of this end of this recording seems to have been um coming for a long time we've been recording for for way longer than you guys are actually going to hear <laughs> but that's totally okay cuz we've embraced every moment of spilled coffee and dogs <laughs> and lawnmowers that can possibly um come across this morning and uh before we end do you want to tell people where they can find you or get in touch with you if they want to um connect with you in any way after they listen absolutely i'm on the twitterverse Mm -hmm. at k-a-s-a-a-n-0-5 okay and then that's my gmail as well casa an o five at gmail and we'll have that in, uh, you know, anything that we've talked about here that needs a link, we'll have that in the show notes as usual. And I think that concludes our conversation. Thanks so much for coming by our quote unquote studio today. I hope listening to Anne today was an inspiration for starting to talk about mindfulness based SEL in your own school. 
This is the third SEL-focused conversation we've had on this podcast so far. And while each one of them has provided a unique insight, all three insist on the method of integrated mindfulness, as well as starting with adults first, as the way forward for every single school. Your feedback, as always, is the best way to help this podcast grow in its purpose and to help us keep getting better at what we do. You can leave a comment for us on Substack, a review in Apple Podcasts, and you can reach me on Twitter at scandela 9 You can listen and subscribe to The Optimalist Podcast wherever you love listening to great podcasts. New episodes are released every Wednesday, and links to all of these resources are available in the show notes. The Optimalist Podcast is brought to you by Focusable, the only app that gives the pulse you need for better attention and it's free. Create an account today at getfocusable.com or by downloading Focusable on any iOS or Android device. You can also follow us at Get Focusable on Twitter and Instagram. Thanks for listening to The Optimalist, and I'll see you next week. Stay focused.